0: Welcome to Get It Off Your Breasts, the podcast digging into all those issues really getting under your skin. My name's Leanna Bird and myself and Emma Gannon are really excited to welcome yet another brilliant guest to join us this week and talk about all kinds of stuff. But before we kick things off with that, just to let you know, this is the final episode of Get It Off Your Breasts Season 3 and it's the final episode of Get It Off Your Breasts in this form. We do hope to bring you news very shortly of how we'll be returning in a live form, in a form of festivals, brand partnerships, all kinds of exciting stuff. If you're listening to this right now and you're someone who organizes events or festivals or indeed works with a brand that may want to partner with us, do listen to the end of the podcast and we'll give you more details about how you can get involved with us in that. So we do hope to be back in another Guys, let's call that a... Uh, get it off your breasts mark two. But for now, we are bringing to a close traditional get it off your breasts with an absolutely stunking guest. We are delighted to welcome into the fold writer, comedian and journalist, it's Viv Groskrop.
1: Thank you, ladies, for inviting me to get something off my breasts. My breasts are, I think, fairly large. What mm. do you think? Yeah? I think, not, I think not nice an and inconsiderable and amount of breasts. Impressive. And... The big thing I really want to get off them is my lifelong irritation with the fact that women do not speak up enough at public events. That is the thing that really drives me crazy. And I've just written this book called How to Own the Room, Women in the Art of Brilliant Speaking. And I've been doing loads and loads of events about it, talking to loads of different women about how to channel Michelle Obama, how to be the speaker they really want to be and always get loads of enthusiasm and people really wanting to step up to the plate and change what they do. In particular, lots of younger women who want to be, their best self not to sound too Oprah uh, on social media because obviously people want to feel like they can go on Instagram stories and feel really relaxed about being on camera all that stuff but then when I come out of that sort of safe space where mostly it's women who come to these events that I do about the book and I go into more public spaces like I recently went to a South Bank uh, event with about 500 people comes to the questions at the end of the event and I start counting Five men have spoken. Six, seven, eight, nine. Is there going to be any woman who asks a question? Yeah. And the like. Yeah, the last event I went to didn't get to, got to ten people, and a woman spoke, and it was literally the last question, and it was a young woman who spoke, and she asked her question in quite a halting, um, one of those questions where you say. Mm, I'm not quite sure what I know. Oh, I don't know what my question is. Um, but like, um, yeah, I've got this question. So she was quite halting, but she eventually got it out. And an older woman turned to her in the audience and said, can you just learn to speak properly, please? <laughs> oh, no. oh, that's not that And cool. I just thought, yeah, well, this is why this happens. And this you is know? why you've written
2: your amazing book. Like, we, we need it.
1: Yeah. And I felt sad because this woman, obviously she must've been about 20 or 21. She summoned up a lot of courage to speak after all those Mm. men had spoken. And then the second that she opens her mouth, she's not getting it right. Mm. And it's another woman who slaps her down. So I
2: think the circle continues.
1: Yeah. I think there's a lot of um, mess in this area. It's not just about telling women that they should have, you know, more balls, I guess is the, not to, I don't want to use that word on your breast centric podcast, but you know, it's all very well telling
0: women to be more ballsy about speaking up. Although isn't it interesting that choice of word, because that is basically almost saying more like a man.
1: Yeah. Unfa- have, yeah. It's one thing that really annoys cojones. me. <laughs> I like saying be more ballsy just because I think people understand what it means. Yeah. But yeah, like you said, that I've, so I've tried to stop saying
0: man up and saying buck up because buck I feel up. like, oh, I like, like, like you need to buck up rather than man up because actually I feel like women are Sometimes more, much more tough in a kind of face of adversity than men. Anyway, so what does man up even mean? So the whole, I you know, love that, Liana.
1: A but that's your idea. It's also quite nineteenth well, century. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I think it's it's quite complicated because there are so many different parts to this process mm. of trying to make it's not just women as well. It can be younger people as well. I do not always necessarily feel able to speak up in certain spaces can be a diversity issue. Uh, It can be a gender issue. Part of it is about you as an individual thinking, right, I'm going to buck up and just speak. (laughs) Um, Part of it is about making the space more welcoming. Mm. So at that event, I did go to the chair of the event afterwards and say, I'm not getting at you because these things happen and it's not your fault. But another time, if you get four or five men speaking in a row, then say, I particularly welcome a question from a woman. Mm, So if people can remember to say that, or sometimes if you can be really um, gutsy, if you're presenting or hosting an event, you can say, I would particularly welcome a question that's not from a white middle-aged man yeah if you can style it out and get away with it without it seeming too aggressive
2: because I really like as well what you champion which is there isn't just one way of public speaking like it's not just the TED talk with the man in the suit pacing up and down you can be a really good speaker in in many different ways I th- what I thought was really interesting about what you've just said is do you remember when Shell Sandberg did Lean In and and that is basically her just saying you need to put your hand up more you need to lean in more and that just got such backlash and I wonder have you found this this topic quite complicated do people just come at it with quite a lot of emotion.
1: Yeah, I was surprised um that there wasn't more backlash to what I've been saying about this, because I'd followed what happened with Lean In uh, really closely and thought it was really interesting. And who knows, maybe there will yet yet to be a backlash. If so, I will buck up and be ready for it. But I do think it is complicated. And maybe I was aware of that in advance. So I've couched it quite sensitively. Because there are so many ways in which women beat themselves up and think I'm not good enough. Uh, What can I ever do to match up to this standard? Oh, it's all about me and I'm not, not taking up enough speaking opportunities. And I didn't want it to be another pressure of Mm. saying, and now you have to be brilliant at giving a Ted talk. I wanted it to be a guide to becoming the sort of speaker that you want to be, which isn't necessarily being the next Michelle Obama or Oprah it's maybe being somebody who feels a bit more comfortable in job interviews or the thing i struggle with most um complaining in a restaurant mm. it's about those kind of little moments where you feel a bit small and you fear confrontation just feeling more confident day to day about those and thinking actually it's fine for me to complain and i'm not going to cuz i always When I want to complain about something often, I don't often want to complain, by the way. (laughs) I'm not a very complaining person, but when I do, I can get so stressed that I start to cry. Really? You know, you get that sort of angry crying thing and you're like, oh, I'm, I'm, I just, I don't think this is the, the right cocktail. And, uh, you know, and I, and all I want to say is, oh, I'm really sorry, but there seems to be a mistake. I ordered a margarita and you brought me a martini. See, so I can say it now, but, but, you know, <laughs> but in a bar or a restaurant, I can get really stressed in that situation. Whereas in front of 2000 people, I'm more than happy and doing an Edinburgh show performing comedy, mm-hmm. I'm more than happy. So I think we all have these little, blind spots of moments that make us really stressed
0: is that yes. because we're generally as women taught a, to a, a little bit to almost apologize for our presence and to be a little bit like I don't, I don't want to necessarily say in the background but to not be a problem so this idea of like standing out and asking something that's maybe oh maybe it's a bit challenging or a little bit risque or a bit confrontational you almost you almost want to kind of be like no one sort of I'm not any trouble. I'm here and yeah. I'm pleasant and I'm nice and I'm making everyone happy and I'm nurturing and I'm all those things and you, I don't know. I just cause because I'm funnily enough, I I don't have a problem with complaining. Like I, as, I don't politely. With me next time I'll come around. along Anytime. Really I'll send it back. I think you're really but, good at doing that. Well, but saying that and, and also I, you know, I I I'm someone I'm really lucky because I've had so much, you know, practice speaking publicly and on radio and things like that. Yeah. I was at an event yesterday, a, a workshop, and at the end they asked for questions and I had two burning questions and I felt so nervous and I didn't put my hand up. And I was like, why am I doing this when I can be the person on stage taking the questions and I don't feel nervous doing that, but why am I scared? And it was that idea that everyone would look at you and because they're the experts out there and you're in the audience, everyone will look at you and go, oh my God, you've asked a really ridiculous question and you've taken up time and space that someone else could have been using to ask a better question and it was that and where's that come from like is that's something that we often feel isn't it that really know?
2: shocks me that you th- it just proves the point though doesn't it because yeah. you can
0: be so confident in other ways
2: but it's mm. so terrifying asking a question in a crowd
1: yeah I think we all have these blind spots in in different areas of our lives um and in the interviews that I did for the podcast of how to own the room, I was interviewing Mm. people like Nigella Lawson, Mary Portis, professor Mary Beard. Mm. And these are women who you'd think are never scared of anything, Mm. but they all have a blind spot, you know, like Mary Portis, she'll speak in front of thousands of people. She's got TV shows that go out to millions. She runs a team of dozens of people. She absolutely so much guts She hates uh, being in a space, a broadcast space with comedians because she doesn't like being made to feel that she's got to be funny. Mm. So that makes her feel intimidated. Um, Nigella Lawson feels as if she's naturally shy, which I, I can see that actually in her. And she feels that she has to overcome that to communicate with people. Um, And even Professor Mary Beard, who's just extraordinary and has got, you know, the biggest brain on the planet, she says that when she was in her 40s, she would sit in departmental meetings at the university, mute, mm. because she just didn't feel that she had the authority to say anything or that anyone would listen to her. So everybody goes through these things. And I think it's so great when women get together and talk about these things and say you know oh I'm, I love doing radio but I couldn't ask a question at this event because it makes other people feel more normal. Yeah. Do,
0: do you think that it that is a more female trait to have that kind of imposter syndrome?
1: I think it's definitely more female trait to be honest about it and open and the thing I've noticed about the book <laughs> is that quite a lot of men have read it secretly and when I do events there will be some men there too. Sometimes they've come with, with their girlfriend or sometimes they've come with work friends and they'll often come up to me privately at the end and say, um, Oh, do you have anything in your book about if your hands are shaking or do you have anything about um, if people are interrupting you in a meeting? And I think these things often do happen to men as well, mm. but it's not as acceptable for them to talk about it. Mm. And I think sometimes, especially in a work context, It's about alpha people and very charismatic people who dominate things Mm. and they're not necessarily always
0: men. Do you know, it's interesting you use the word alpha because when you were talking earlier and you gave the example of the event and the men all asking and then the woman at the end, the 10th one, I just had an image in my mind of lions and you know, when they have the lion kill and the male lion comes and he takes and then the other one t- male takes and they all have their fill and then it's like, okay, now we're done. Oh, us alpha yes. males have done. Now you ladies can come and have the scraps. And I don't know why, but when you were talking about that, it just reminded me of that. sort of almost Yeah, well,
1: order. a lot of these things are about hierarchy and status and sometimes when women get very stressed about this and think oh why do I have to be the one waiting at the end and why did I not want to ask that question they're putting the weight of of hundreds and hundreds of years of patriarchy and waiting for the scraps on themselves Mm -hmm. and of course we're all going to have that inside us and we can't expect to overturn it in a heartbeat
2: do you think that there is this like fear though inside that you could then get too much you could be above your station you could be too confident because I mean not to name any names but we were just talking earlier about this um, blogger who has started a workshop put herself out there she's got loads of followers she's charging quite a lot of money for tickets that's a woman who actually I would say has gone out and done her own thing and gone I'm gonna do a workshop you should pay and come and see me and yet she's been torn down and I think people like to tear women down I don't think people like loud, confident women. I still feel like whenever I'm having a confident moment, I do feel like I'm less likable.
1: Yeah. I mean, that likability thing is a huge thing still for women. But on the other hand, tall poppy syndrome is a huge thing in British culture. People have talked about it for a long time, like in British culture, Um, everybody loves you until you succeed massively and then they hate you and say you're rubbish. Whereas in America, they might be a bit more likely to champion you. Although I think now internationally on the social media front, the more successful you are and the higher your numbers, the more people feel able to pile on and and hate you. (laughs) So Mm. that that trend has become exacerbated. I think for women it is slightly different and there's still that thing of, Are you one of the girls? Are you one of us? Are you a little bit too ambitious? Mm. And you have to learn for yourself how you sit with that. I mean, I think that's bullshit. So I'm not interested in it. But I know that not everybody would feel
0: comfortable saying, well, that's bullshit. I'm just going to be who I am. Mm. That's also, we were talking earlier as well um, with our producer Shola as well about um, our school experiences and I remember there was a piece of research which was released which said that girls in single-sex education were performing better at their GCSEs than girls in mixed schools and there was all kinds of possible reasons as to why that might be and social socioeconomic etc etc but one of the things was that girls when they are in the presence of other boys in an education situation, they don't want to necessarily stand out and look like, you know, either look really stupid because they've asked a stupid question in front of boys or look too smart almost and be, you know, almost intimidating and not as attractive. And so girls in classrooms are when there's boys around and not necessarily putting themselves forward or being as confident or putting their hand up. So what you're talking about in that kind of event space possibly could be something that is also being seen at those younger ages in school settings as well.
1: Yeah, maybe. I think there's loads of evidence that contradicts that as well. Like there are loads of studies that uh in mixed schools the girls are actually doing better than the boys because the boys mess around. I mean, I see this a bit with my own kids actually. I've got two <laughs> boys and a girl. So, I think it can be difficult to draw generalizations, but mm. the thing I think is really interesting about those kind of generalizations And it plays into what you were saying, Emma, as well about this idea of, oh, can you be likable? Are you too ambitious? All of that. You don't have to be a stereotype Mm. and you can teach your kids. You don't have to be a stereotype. Mm. You know, you don't have to be the person who's scared that everyone else is going to say, oh, she got all the answers right. Or she's a teacher's pet. You know, you can teach your kids that that is it's rubbish and it's just noise just as all this other stuff of oh look at her she's trying to do her workshop oh get her who does she think she is it's just noise Mm. and you don't have to buy into all of that and you
0: don't have to
2: be a stereotype because you're gonna have noise all through your life Mm. aren't you so it's probably a good lesson
0: early on yeah yeah totally can I ask the last question on this topic which is a piece of advice if there is a someone listening either a uh, a guy who doesn't feel that they're ever able to ask questions or a woman who would really like to ask questions at events, but just feels nervous and scared. Have you got any kind of advice to them of how to overcome that?
1: Or? Yeah. I think in a, in event space in particular where there's a group of people, large or small. So this could be a work setting where there might be, I don't know, five, 10 people in a meeting, or it could be a big conference event where there's hundreds of people whatever your question is, it's valid. And don't be thinking, oh, I have to answer. This is exactly what you were saying, Liana. Everyone thinks, oh, I need to ask a really intelligent (laughs) question. My question must be very intelligent. But actually the best questions are stupid questions in inverted commas, Mm -hmm. stupid. So a great question to ask an author is why did you write this book? Or why did you become an author?
2: And I bet everyone in the audience is like, yes, they've asked the question I was
1: too scared to ask. And also um, in any kind of setting, if you ask a casual question like, what did you have for breakfast? Or what's your favorite cocktail? Right. Or can you please make sure that nobody ever brings Viv the wrong cocktail ever again? (laughs) (laughs) It's the best question to ask. Uh, These are not stupid questions because it's not about what the question is. It's about the answer that it's going to elicit and sometimes it's about the moment of exchange or connection because, mm. you know, sometimes people ask questions sometimes in events and they just puncture the moment and you see the fragility or the humanity of the other person and and everyone laughs and that was all that that was designed for. So I guess my advice is don't second guess your question. Just if you want to ask a question, ask it and it doesn't have to be clever and it's
0: come from you and you're entitled to ask it. So go for it. And don't be the the lady at that event who turns to someone and puts them down for a question.
1: <laughs> no, and, and don't be afraid <laughs> to express it exact, just to talk how you would talk with your friends. Because the woman who asked the question at the event that I mentioned, she did ask it in a halting, uh, completely unprofessional way. But she's not David Dimbleby. You know, she didn't have to ask a sort of, we're at the United Nations and I'm going to uh, ask this in a really, really uh, important way. You can talk naturally.
2: Mm. Well, also, at least it was a question and not a comment. Yes, <laughs>
1: do not give comments from the floor. That's, there's a whole other get off your breasts thing there. Oh
0: my God, that's a good one, yeah. Well, well, season four, we'll get you back for that yeah. one.
2: <laughs> I downloaded an app few weeks ago and I know there's loads of apps for this but it's a um app that helps you just monitor how much time you're spending online and just to be aware really I suppose of just how much time I'm spending on it and um on some days I really like it and I do find it interesting and it's really good with its push notifications so it will say like well done you're 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 on track for today, because it gives you a goal. So my goal is to spend no more than two hours a day on my phone, and to not unlock my phone more than 50 times. So on Sunday, mm. I went on my phone for an hour, and I didn't unlock my phone much. So it's like, well done, Emma, you're amazing. <laughs> like, here's a sticker. And it's like, ooh, I like this. And on Monday, which was yesterday of recording, um, I went on my phone for five hours, and I unlocked my phone 200 times and I was, I was really stressed yesterday. And it basically says the opposite. It's like, boo, you haven't done very well today. Um, you went on your <laughs> phone a lot. Like it really, it tells you off. And it gives you these nudges being like, just to let you know, you've, you haven't you um, have hit your target. And I think you should go and spend some time in the real world. It'll make you feel better. It like gives you these nudges. But I just feel a bit like I felt, way shitter about myself uh yesterday knowing that I was more anxious knowing that I'd spend more time on it and I, I, d- I just wanted to get it off my breast really like this complicated relationship with I had to be on my phone that amount of time yesterday's had loads to do and do these apps help us or do they just make it known how fucked up it all is
1: <laughs> this is so interesting I've only recently noticed there's something on my phone that I did not put there that tells me how long I've been on the phone. Do other people have this too? Screen time. Yeah, but it just pops up when I don't want to see
2: it. Oh, I did not oh, know. Like I never that. asked to you, see you, that. You can turn it off, I, I think. Need to turn but it off. Um, Are you have you got an iPhone? Yes. Right. I've got yeah, you, a Google Pixel. I think it does a similar thing, but you have to, you can turn it on, on because and off. Because
1: mine will say, so you're saying five hours is bad and That's two, awful. two is good. Mine's Mine's been about four hours. Right. That's quite bad, isn't it? But also I don't understand how it measures it because I'm sure that I haven't been on my phone for four hours. Sometimes but, I haven't been awake for four hours when it tells me that.
0: <laughs> maybe, <laughs> yeah, maybe yours isn't correct But, yeah, but I think sometimes... So I think one of the things, what, what you've highlighted, which is, which is really true, is when I discovered screen time on my iPhone, I was shocked. So I was like, I haven't used my phone much today. And I'd look at it and it'd be like three hours, 52 minutes. And I'd be like, what? How? Why? But then the thing is, it does count things like if you're listening to a podcast on your phone, which right. I don't really count as phone time because i'm not looking at my screen i'm not doing social media i'm listening to something it just happens to be through my phone so also maybe if your phone was playing white noise at night or yeah I don't know, maybe. If you were listening to something from midnight till half midnight a little right. radio show was... i think i'm probably addicted
2: <laughs> but i think I mean, the in, probably still saying you know you're using technology this amount of time yeah and i what's interesting is the correlation so sunday I went to bed nice and early and I and I just I felt really good I read a bit of my book not my book (laughs) but I read a book (laughs) and um and I just felt good and and obviously I felt shit when I've been on my phone all day that's really interesting to know but I just feel like do these apps do anything other than just make you feel more guilty
0: isn't it a bit a little bit like when you're dieting though? So when you've got like a personal trainer or yeah. like I mean I've not, I've not had a personal trainer, but when, when you have someone who like you're in the gym or whatever and you've got your person and they go, well done, you're doing really really well, like that's great. But what you don't need is someone in your kitchen when you do eat that piece of cake saying, "Uh oh, you've really <laughs> screwed up." Actually, what you need is someone to go. Doesn't matter you start from now everyone has their moments everyone like we're human you know and if you want to eat cake go for it and if you want to make up for it and you know go for a run later do that so maybe like it's the it's the tone of it maybe they shouldn't be criticizing you for kind of not hitting your goals but kind of encouraging you yeah maybe that's right how can we rebalance this tomorrow and I just don't think ever, whatever it is, whether it's like trying to cut down on phone time or, you know, trying to be a bit healthier in your life or any kind of thing that you feel that you've maybe got a little bit of an addiction or a bit of an unhealthy relationship. It doesn't help when people point out when you're going wrong. You know, it doesn't help for someone. I just think that just is going to make you feel worse, which is going to make, encourage that behavior more.
1: But Emma, how
0: did you respond the next
1: day after the, Mm. you are a terrible person?
2: I in a way well actually maybe it has worked because it (laughs) it grossed me out so much because it make it it doesn't say you're a bad person but it's just the way it's displayed like you know four hours of your day spent on your phone you've unlocked your phone 200 times that's me unlocking it and like that's obsessive that's Mm. like it's it's like any other behavior it's like if i'd eaten like 200 haribos and just like felt really sick like i just felt like really awful and and I guess I just don't know what the next step is, like how do you overcome this this addiction that we all have
1: well the thing they say in therapy is that awareness is curative, <laughs> so the more you're so aware of something, step. the more you're able to in a commas cure it, but awareness, um as anyone will know who has been in therapy, can be very painful, and you are at the painful end of the yeah. awareness. Oh my God, I think that's what this is. Your habit that you want to change is being rubbed in your face. You know, so you're getting to, I mean, I don't know if you can call this an addiction, but in traditional addiction language, this would be close to the rock bottom. You mm-hmm. know, so rock bottom is the point of no return where you see your behavior, you're made aware of it, and you realize, ah, I cannot live with that awareness. And this is a good point, it's
2: the painful point. But it's yes. the turnaround. That's really true. This is me knowing actually. I've been doing this for years. I've been picking up my phone for 200 times a day for a few
0: years now. So now I know. But then there's a difference, isn't there, between awareness. So between your phone app saying to you, just so you know, heads up, you used your phone this amount of time yesterday and you unlocked it 200 times, whatever. And then them going to you, boom. Judgment, you messed up yeah you're you're addicted to your phone you're a terrible person because I find like we I think we all have certain levels of addiction to our phone but sometimes when I'm feeling really shit in my life I almost binge on my phone and will look at like the worst websites like the trashiest news or the trashiest reality because I'm like feeling down and shit about myself Mm. and so someone's saying to me like Boo, you're a bad person because you watched Keeping Up With The Kardashians today <laughs> when you could have been reading Dostoevsky. Um, that just makes me want to do that more because I'm like, oh, I hate myself. Oh, God, I'm shit. Okay, I need to forget that and, and yeah. you know, forget the world and I'll just, wait, how do I do that? I watch some terrible reality TV show. Not that but I'm judging think, anyone who watches reality TV, but yeah. I think that's the difference, isn't it? Awareness is one thing. Yeah, And also what is, you've just said about the cycle. like. Yeah the
2: more anxious i am the more i pick up my phone so there but i'm anxious because of my phone so it's like
0: breaking that cycle so do you need to then switch off that app and just get your the screen time equivalent where you can just get the information you need and then you can process that and decide what you want to do with that information but not necessarily have someone giving you a boo or a yay <laughs> yeah maybe that's maybe that's um the best move
2: also, there are loads of really good apps. Like there's Happy Not Perfect. I don't know if you've heard of that one where it's really, it doesn't intrude. It's just there if you need it. I like that mm. one. What it, does that do? Happy so Not Perfect? So it sort of prompts you to um, write a gratitude list. So you write in your notes, like what you're grateful for. And and genuinely, I know a lot of people listening might be like, oh my God, that sounds really a bit woo-woo. But um, it, I think... I don't know about you guys, but I do think that a lot of people feel overwhelmed by life and technology daily and just getting into bed, writing like I had a nice meeting. I had a nice cup of tea. That's, I really like doing that. So I think
0: some apps are good, but yeah, thanks guys. Do you know, do you, I just want to say, do you know what screen time can do though? Again, I don't know if there's an equivalent on non Apple products, um, but you can set your own limits. So for example, I've set mine for like after nine o'clock at night and before nine in the morning. I can't look at my phone unless it's a call or a text. How does it do that? Um, you just set your apps and you say like after nine, I'm not allowed to use any social media. But the only thing is, you can override it. So what happens is now it'll be like ten o'clock and I'll be like, I'll just check Instagram and it comes up and goes, sorry, but you're not allowed to look on social media because it's past nine. And I just click override and then I back my phone. So there are other options out there, but then yeah, again, you're just like yeah because this one
2: another massive part of it is it allows you to pause everything on your phone but you it's because airplane mode i don't like because i'm like if someone's calling me and it's an emergency i can't answer it but this app yeah pauses everything
0: Mm.
2: so i I wonder
1: if the thing to ask is if you have a problem with technology which you're kind of admitting that you do right is technology really the way to solve it (laughs) Because yeah, this is the no question, and so lots of people are saying, "Oh, why don't you get freedom?" You know, freedom is the one you download onto your desktop, and it stops you going online when you're trying to write something, and you just go down and you know internet rabbit hole doing tons and tons mm-hmm. of research instead of actually writing. But in reality, you could just not switch on your wi-fi you don't actually need yeah. to download make
2: it more complicated yeah for so
1: would it actually be better for you if you turned your phone off and put it in a drawer and then i know that this supposedly emergency thing cannot get through to you but in reality has this emergency thing
0: ever actually happened never do you know what also you just reminded me of? So I had a, like an autoimmune condition, which is was well, nothing serious, but it was to do with overproduction of histamine. And for a long time, I was basically reading, like getting obsessed with like the foods that I wasn't allowed to have because they had too much histamine and they'd make my condition spark up. And it became quite depressing because I was like, I can't have chocolate, I can't have this chocolate. And then I read this like blog of this, this lady who had the same condition with me. And she turned it around because she said, stop removing things from your diet and start adding things. So don't say, I can't eat this, this, and this, and this, but say, I'm going to eat the things that are anti-inflammatory. So you can eat chocolate, but then you better eat a hell of a lot of basil with your pasta that evening. So And it completely changed the way I looked at it, because I was like, I'm no longer going to take something away, I'm going to add something. So maybe, rather than going like, I need to stop using my phone, maybe it's about going... I'm going to read a book for an hour every day or half an hour every day. I'm going to have half an hour in the bath on my own and make it like the, the nice things that you can add to your life that are non-technology rather than trying to like take away your phone. I don't know. Mm. Well, yeah, that's, that's
1: what people advise with, with smoking is you've got to find a replacement activity or a displacement activity and you have to be careful of the things around it. So for example, I mean, I gave up smoking 40 a day about 20 years ago <laughs> when cigarettes cost two p for a packet and now they cost 30 million pounds for a packet and I'm so glad I gave up but I had to replace so many things around my smoking habit so I used to work in an office then so oh, this is really going back in the day now blimey because I can't work in an office now I'd machete people um I couldn't physically go outside with other people who smoked until i had stopped smoking for like i think probably over a year i couldn't Mm. be on that break with Mm. those other people because it was too much for me i couldn't drink uh, coffee for several months because the association Mm. was too much alcohol the same so i had to give up other things around it and replace it you know most people put that's why most people put on weight when they give up smoking or even drinking because they replace it so Mm. Like, yeah, replacing with a book of poetry, perhaps, or some other activity. Like, I don't know, paint your nails, have a bath.
0: It's kind of... But this is it is
1: fascinating because 15 years ago, this problem didn't exist. Yeah. Yeah. Whether it's an addiction, I don't know.
2: Mm, That's a good point. I think it's just important that we talk about this stuff because I don't think I'm the only one. And I also think we downplay it so much. Like, oh, it's fine. It's it's my work. Because everybody's doing it. Yeah. And it's like it's still not healthy. Um so yeah, I use this topic as an excuse to ask Viv and Viana for therapy.
1: <laughs> Have you had any length of time without your phone or any technology at all? Because I really recommend that.
2: Well, so over Christmas I had ten days without my laptop. I hardly went on my phone, I didn't check my emails you can do it I can do it and I know I feel good I think it's my anxious
0: tick actually is just checking my phone yeah. it's habit as well I love the way me and you are sitting like we're, we're oh, yeah, like yeah I hear, hear the, the phone, and you're like five hours I'm on four hours every time I check my screen down. so I think we're all in yeah, it maybe very, we're just not we're in the denial it's phase very still. easy you to give other that. people <laughs> advice about how
1: to use their phone wax <laughs> yeah
0: <laughs> So this is a first for me because usually on get it off your breast, I we have like I have like a little bit of a rant or something that's been bothering me or something I kind of want to share in that way that's been ticking at me. But this time, what I want to get off my breast is an apology to every parent I have ever sat next to on a plane with a small child or a baby. Obviously, I've had a rude awakening um, in the form of a tiny, gorgeous little human baby of my own. So my perspective on a whole lot of things has changed over the past year. Um, But one of the things I just feel really guilty for is I was that person who would be sitting on a plane. And, you know, when you're flying back from somewhere far away and if you're lucky enough to travel far away um, and you're you, you you know you've got work the next day or something and you're doing a night flight and you're just like please let me sleep please let me sleep, because there's nothing better in the world than getting on a plane and falling asleep and you wake up when you're there that's the dream right and it rarely ever happens and I remember one time I was away and I was in Mexico and I had to come back and straight away the next day do quite an important long radio show and I was like really nervous I basically shouldn't have flown the day before but I was really nervous that I wasn't going to have any sleep and I was going to screw it up and it was going to be awful and I was going to everyone was going to think I'm an idiot a little bit like (laughs) the event thing and imposter syndrome and all the rest of it so I was feeling the pressure and so my lovely other half said I uh, you know I'll get you an upgrade I think it was an economy plus rather than an p- economy ticket. So I was going to have like nice juicy space, get my legs. So I had all these dreams in my head that I was going to like stretch out, have my dinner, put, watch a film and then get the blanket on. And I was like, yes. And you kind of feel like when you've paid for something like that, that you deserve it, right? You're like, you know, I, I deserve this because, well, someone else has paid it for me, but you kind of just assume you're going to get it, even though, you know, paying more money for something doesn't mean you deserve it. But in your head or in my head, I thought I had a guaranteed good sleep. Um, and I got on the plane and there was a family with a two-year-old and this, this little boy was just screaming and just running riot. And, the, and you know, the mum and dad looked ex- like stressed out and it was a night flight and it got to nighttime and I was just giving them the look of why would you take your small child who's clearly out of control on a night flight when people are trying to sleep and put them in... And you like put them in a place where people are paid more clearly because they need to sleep because they've got work the next day. And I And I feel now so bad for that because i now understand that a kids are unpredictable and they can be absolutely fine one day and then the next day you know so you think they're going to be fine it's not like you know they're going to kick off um they they can just behave in an erratic way or react to the whole plane environment in a erratic way erratic erratic way i also know that from my friends going on a night flight can mean that your child actually sleeps and it's much better than having them poor things cooped up all day in a, you know, 12 hour flight. Um, and also I just now know the stress and anxiety. I've taken my baby on two hour flights. That's the max I've done, done it twice. And my stress, the minute I sit down just rises so high and I'm so anxious because I just feel that judgment from everyone. And I feel so nervous that she's going to have a cry or a meltdown. Um, and yeah, so I just want to say sorry to every parent that I've given that look to <laughs> and was that parent. And I feel for you now. And, and um, I suppose just get your guys' thoughts on that. I suppose, you know, is it okay to be annoyed that there's a baby or a child kicking you so you're being na- loud or, or, or was I gen- genuinely out of order?
1: <laughs> well, I think you're experiencing what everybody experiences when they have a child, which is, oh, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've got three children who are 8, 12 and 15 so I have been through this and I took my first child to New Zealand Mm. on at least 12 hours. Maybe it's more like 15 hours on my own when he was almost one and for the entirety of the flight I felt exactly what you're describing of this kind of total shame and almost wanting to... um, like a dummy wouldn't be enough, like put a, a cork in the baby's <laughs> mouth or and up their nostrils so they don't they don't make a sound because you feel the weight of that judgment. Mm. And it's I think there's a lot of judgment on parents generally um, and you'd see it maybe uh, at um, a supermarket, you know, near the tills, meltdown time. That's where you get the judgment as well. But the place where you really get it is in the enclosed space. There are very few very few social arrangements where the judgment is so intense as in that enclosed mm. space. For
0: so long as well. Yeah. When you can't escape
1: from it. But I think it's very beautiful what you have learnt, <laughs> Liana, because you have learnt compassion for others. And I think sometimes people uh underestimate the other risks on a plane like wouldn't you much rather be next to a screaming baby than a man who's totally and utterly drunk Mm. and really large and out of control of his faculties and throw up on you Mm. like at least if a baby throws up it's going to be quite a small amount
0: what was kind of interesting though is that (laughs) I (laughs) i looked online to like I don't know. I just went in a bit of a, a bit of an internet hole one day when I was just looking at random stuff online for no reason. Um, and I looked online to see like other parents' experiences, and I was sort of going like, "Is it okay to go long haul with a baby?" Or should you? Not? And the judgment. I mean, some people were just saying like, "Parents who travel with babies on any kind of long haul flight are selfish. They're so, they shouldn't put the children through that. They shouldn't put the other passengers through that." And then there was the other camp of people going like. Your children deserve to see the world. Babies are people too. They have every right to be on a plane. They they are human beings and anyone can travel. And we all know when we get on a plane, we're sharing that space with other people. And it was so like people were at each other about it. And it was so divisive. And I never realized quite how sort Mm. of divisive that issue even could be. No,
1: I'm just thinking of all the different people. Better a baby than a hen party, stag party. Yeah. We've all seen that. Mm. Really complainy old person. I think it's, you it's what you're saying
2: like it's just an enclosed space so anything's gonna annoy you like it would annoy me if someone was like chewing gum really loudly or like but I just think the baby thing gets a bad rap yeah I do believe in like baby karma like I should be nice to mums on flights or dads who are coping with that because I just think like you, what you were saying it could be you one day it's like you know when you're learning to drive And you're just like, please be nice to me. And then the minute Mm. you pass your test, you're like, oh, learner drivers. (laughs) And I I actually think that empathy is something that we've lost online, but I think we need to also be good at in real life. I actually read this book and I can't remember what it was called now, so that's annoying, but... It was about how you can retrain your mind to have a bit more empathy with people. Like, Mm. you know, if someone's got a really bad cough and they're on the tube and they're like really croaking, you kind of need to not say, oh, that is so gross and really annoying. And I'm trying to listen to my podcast. You should actually say as well, oh, that person might be really ill.
1: Well, I was thinking that when you were talking, Leanne, I mean a lot of these judgments are a failure of imagination, so people mm. could say, Oh, how dare you take your children on a long or your baby on a long haul flight how How do you know these people aren't going to a funeral mm. You know, how do you know they're not taking their child for medical care? I mean, it and like you're saying, Emma, is just imagining what could be going on in the other person's life mm. instead of rushing to judgment mm. and saying, I'm perfect. I have never done anything wrong in my life. I certainly wouldn't inconvenience <laughs> yeah. other people ever. Well, you of know, course you or, would. Or it's they look true. at you with that
0: you're a bad parent because your child's unruly. I mean, that's the kind of, I mean, I, I've mine's, my child's a baby, so I haven't really got to that phase yet. But I know that that anxiety of like, oh, I'm a really good parent and therefore my child is well-behaved is something that I'm i mean isn't it the about. whole
2: thing of like when you're not a parent you're like i wouldn't you let my kid use an yeah. ipad for that long and it's like <laughs> uh what but this woman yesterday was on the who was on the bus she was playing baby shark so loudly on the bus and everyone was sort of eyeing each other like oh my god she it's like someone playing her ringtones but like worse and she you know is doing this baby shark do do to the to the pram <laughs> and everyone was like <laughs> oh my god even the bus driver was like that's loud and and actually i honestly it was like testing It was very testing but i just thought i i bet i bet she's having a hard time because why is she
0: doing that probably if she turned it off the baby would start to cry and she knew the baby and maybe a she's at her wits meltdown. end yeah
2: and maybe she's a, she could be a single mother she could be absolutely like she's you know there was like shopping bags everywhere maybe she was just so stressed and that was mm. one thing she needed to do and i just thought I mean, i'm not perfect person at all but i just tried my hardest to be like i wonder why
0: she's doing that i have to say that there is a little kindness goes a long way as well when you're in that situation so again i've only done short flights if you will have experienced, like you said new zealand much longer but even on those short flights my, my baby luckily has been pretty good and slept most of it and been all right and everyone's been nice but they're you know on the rare occasion that they kind of start to crack up a little bit or get a little bit overtired or whatever some there are some people who just look at you and smile and go oh don't worry and she's lovely and they they kind of give you that sort of like oh we've all been there type yeah, thing and, and I, it's so your anxiety just goes thank you yeah and, it's so and nice. I think
1: in reality those people outnumber the whingers. Mm. And it's a bit like what you're saying, Emma, about the real life space and the virtual space. Well, we all know that in the virtual space and in all these online forums, negative emotion travels faster and it mushrooms. In real life, negative emotion is actually usually drowned out by all the people who are thinking, oh, I've been there or, oh, I might have a baby one day. I'll be nice to this lady. Uh, But we tend to hear and pick up on the negative mm. but actually it is way outnumbered by the positive I am just remembering as well another really <laughs> inconvenient space to take small children I was once in a really really posh restaurant an American friend of mine was visiting London for the first time and so I said let's go to went to the Wolseley right lovely. Um, in mm. near Piccadilly in in London's West End and it, it is very very posh and lovely and I had, I think, Will, who's my eldest, who's now 15, he was about two. And he was standing on this bonquette next to me. And he was being quite well behaved. And all my children have generally touched with being quite well behaved. I'm sure they'll all become drug addicts now that I've said that. But, um, <laughs> right now, all of them, yes, even right the eight-year-old. <laughs> now, um, so age two, he was standing in this bonquette. And I was chatting away to my friend thinking, oh, this is so nice. I'm so lucky that I can have a toddler and still come and do really nice things like this. And then I could hear this man at the bonkette next to us saying, really, people should not bring children to restaurants. Because Will, (laughs) my child, had patted him on the shoulder. Mm. As as if to say, excuse me, can I play with you? And I was just so mortified, but also thought it was completely hilarious. Oh, my God.
2: But you know what? That man... Sounds like he's from the 1920s and children should be seen and not heard. There are lots of
1: people who think that small children shouldn't be allowed in posh
0: restaurants. But I was going to say there are probably people listening now who do think, well, there should be adult spaces. You know, there should be spaces where I, as an adult, I've chosen not to have children because... I don't want children or I find them annoying or whatever and why should or even they do have children they want to get away from them but they will believe that there should be certain spaces which are child free and I have to say like I have been that person I've been that person that you know you go on a holiday or something and you know you feel like that's your break and you don't necessarily want to be surrounded by loads of kids or whatever but you have to remember (laughs) that they are people too do you think though that even now you
2: would welcome some adult only spaces
1: it always makes me yeah, laugh when people say adult. I want only. I, uh-huh. it's like a sex shop, basically. <laughs> I, <laughs> I want to I basically my, adult adult only want my party. baby to
0: be the only baby in a really lovely. No, but it is a challenge because I don't particularly want to go on a holiday with like loads of kids clubs and loads of screaming kids around and stuff like that. Because you do want to kind of relax, but also at the same time, I know I'm now that person. I'm now that parent with the child who needs entertaining, and um, so it's a bit of a dilemma. And I guess I will find out. Maybe you've obviously lived yeah, through. Yeah, I
1: I'm... I haven't got too much into this whole adult only. World. But I know there are loads of hotels that say you know no kids, and there are restaurants that say no under twelves, yeah. and there are these these spaces will always be there for you, Leon. Well, so, do you, but
2: do no, you know, but do. know what, what? Something that's really controversial, not really controversial, but is when people don't allow kids at weddings.
0: But I also people get really fair, annoyed. No, They're like, I, I won't go then. Fair, I think that's fair enough. Do you? I, and even well, though fair I've got enough baby, to not allow the kids at the wedding. I think it's fair enough to make a call and say I want my wedding to be kid free, and and. Oh, I thought you were going to say, it's fair enough. If you are really annoyed, you can't bring your kid. No, I don't think... I think it's a wedding, is it's those two people's day and they can do whatever the hell they want. And if you don't like it, don't go. Mm-hmm. And I think if you want to have a raging party and get all your friends and not worry about you know kids catering and this and that then you, you're allowed to and if people don't like it then don't be offended that they don't come mm. don't no I, I agree with that I think you can't be upset if you put down if you decide that you want certain in a certain way that mm. other people have to respect that but you also have to respect their choice not to yeah. come
1: I agree come. with you I think do what you want to do and let everyone else sort themselves out mm. however I do judge the people who say no children at weddings do, I you? do yes because <gasps> I think it's bad luck Mm. because a wedding is a community event mm. and it should be for you know all of your community support and I think it's a bit like saying no ugly people <laughs> at my wedding and no old people don't want anyone who isn't photogenic <laughs> and anyone who's a bit inconvenient <laughs> don't want them at my wedding <laughs> damn I was planning that when
0: I think it's like if you if you want to basically get drunk and have a rave on and you know you don't want like and you want adults to be able to have wine at the table and it is a different vibe sometimes when kids are around I, I have to say I like I like kids being around and I especially now I've got a baby I'll walk into a cafe and I will scan the room and if I see someone else with a baby I'm like hi friend you're like me and I <laughs> I I like much chattier now to strangers because I just want to like connect with other people who are in Mm. that same situation it's natural I think um but I do also think like respect other people's choices to what vibe they want I think it's so true what you're saying about seeing it
2: both ways because Mm. I think have you know I don't have children that (laughs) (laughs) that like sometimes I'm judgmental I am but then sometimes I think well, I'm judging you for not being able to come to this thing, but then you have to pay for a babysitter.
0: You have to do all these things that I don't have to do. If you were on a flight, a night flight, and you decided it was a work trip, so and you were going to go in business class because it's a work trip and you need to sleep, and you got on and you paid a lot of money for this ticket, and there was a child on there and they were screaming throughout the night, would you judge the parents? No.
2: I don't think I would I don't think you can be as entitled to be like I want silence on this flight. It's a flight. I mean, you're going to have all sorts going on. You might have someone being sick. You might have someone like I don't know burping every five seconds like <laughs> snoring I have snoring been on the some awful flights your secret is safe with us remember. I just think how can you like walk into any public space and be like I would like it
0: to be this temperature mm-hmm. and I would like it to be silent like no we live it the world is noisy so basically I need you to come on every flight I ever take for the rest of my life for my child and just like give the rest of the Playing that lecture before it starts yeah, we'll and then be my like, anxiety we'll will be go be like a bodyguard who's going clear the area clear the area lady with well behaved baby have coming empathy, through have empathy
2: <laughs> but also haven't people heard of like earplugs and like drugs that knock you out to sleep and like really good noise cancelling headphones like come on maybe
0: that's what I should do like bring Valium on the plane and, like hand it out and be like here you go guys free Valium on me <laughs> Um, I think well we've done with that one then yes. very beautifully thank
2: you we, all, um, we had all support and all the side of the spectrum on that one yeah absolutely Um, Viv thank you so much
1: for joining us thank you so much I can't wait to see you on a very noisy flight soon
0: (laughs) (laughs) well thank you so much to Viv for being our brilliant final guest this season and indeed our final guest of Get It Off Your Breasts in its current form Uh, we just want to say a huge thank you to all the guests we've had from the beginning of season one they've been absolutely incredible they've brought such a plethora of such varied topics to the table it's been a real pleasure to sit down and chew the fat and get to the nub of all these issues with them Um, from personal to more serious to hilarious stuff it's been a ride and you've come along with it and we want to just say a huge thank you to each and every one of you for coming with us. If you have just joined us more recently, there is an entire archive of Get It Off Your Breast podcast. Start at season one, work your way through and enjoy. Um, Also, a huge thank you to our producer, Shola Aleje, who's been with us from the start. This podcast would not exist without her. We are so grateful for her sonic vision and for her friendship as well, of course. Now, I mentioned at the start that we will be hoping to come back in another form. So let's just say keep your eyes and your ears peeled because we hope to be bringing you news of live events shortly so festivals events brand partnerships that kind of stuff opportunities not only for you to listen to the podcast as you usually do but also to come along and be in the audience and meet us face to face which is always a lot of fun and um, we'll be sharing news of any live events in the future at Liana Bird on Twitter and at Emma Gannon they're spelled at double L I-A-N-A B-I-R-D or at Emma g-a-n-n-o-n if you want to get in touch in the meantime there you can say hello until then thank you so much for listening it's been an absolute pleasure and just remember if you have something that you really want to say don't keep it inside just get it off your breasts